Thanks so much for choosing that song. I've not sung it for ages, and I was trying to remember, how does this go? Which bit does it go up? So I've put, great, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And uh, if you've got a Bible, please open it at uh, Isaiah 65, verses 1 to 16. I wonder what you expect from a judge. Now, if you're in court, you expect wisdom, you expect truth, you expect justice. I'm not going to ask which of you have actually been in court and why you were there. Um, I have been in a court. I wasn't the defendant, but I had to answer questions as a witness, and it went on for about 45 minutes with the same question being asked over and over again, at which point I turned to the magistrate and said, is he really going to ask the same question for another 45 minutes, because he'll get the same answer. But you expect that, don't you? You expect wisdom and truth and justice from a judge in court. But of course, they are not the only judges, are they? Reality competitions on TV have judges. Whether it's the mass Singer or Strictly Come Dancing or whatever, there are judges. And you expect something a bit different. You expect honesty, humour, hopefully, and personality. Now, I've given uh, tonight's message the title, The Lord Judges. Quite stark, isn't it? It's not happy-go-lucky and smiley. It might make us feel uncomfortable or on edge, perhaps dismissive. But here's the truth. The Lord does judge. And as I say that, we also have to remember he doesn't judge like we judge. See, we judge people and things all the time. But we, and we judge with our own opinions, based on our own experiences, coloured by our prejudices. But the Lord judges with integrity and with grace and with certainty. And he judges, when we look at Isaiah 65, having spread out his hands, spread them out to a people who are under judgment so they can come to him and be saved. Now, it's not entirely clear exactly when Isaiah wrote these words. It's somewhere around 700 BC, perhaps 710, 730, not sure. It doesn't really matter. But in chapter 65, we need to remember he's prophesying as well. So he's not just speaking about the current time, he's looking forward. And as he looks forward, this section of Isaiah is a lot about, and first of all, for the Jews who return from exile. So Isaiah is looking forward 150, 200 odd years or so. The math is probably wrong, don't worry. But he's looking forward. People who come back from Babylon to Israel who suffered decades in a strange land, who have experienced the Lord's discipline, his judgment on their nation. See, they know about judgment. They know about hardship, but they also know about mercy and grace. The first thing I want us to see is this, that the Lord spreads out his hands. The Lord spreads out his hands. You've probably heard of the writer Roald Dahl. His books are still read by children, 
They're pretty awful, most of them, in some way, shape, or form, because that's part of the attraction. But one of his books, and one of his most memorable books, is Matilda. It's been made into a movie. It's been made into a stage musical. And now it's a musical movie, which you can see at the cinema. And in the story, if you're not familiar, there's a headmistress called Miss Trunchbull. And she rules her school completely. And when I say rules, I mean rules. Literally rules it. Her punishments to not just the children, but also to the staff, are appalling. Her treatment of children is abuse, basically. Her power is undeniable. Everyone's scared of her. And she seems to be unbeatable. Now, if you know the story, you know a bit more. But we're not bothered about Matilda. But there you are. That's what it looks like. There are some very hard things said by the Lord in chapter 65 of Isaiah. Statements and warnings that are chilling. Words which might give us the view that God is a nasty bully who loves giving out vengeance. A bit like Miss Trunchbull in Matilda. But look at how he starts. This is not a God who is horrible. This is a God who has done and he is doing everything so that people answer his call. So we see he shows himself to people who are looking for him, first of all, in verse 1. Now, in Romans 10, in the New Testament, Paul quotes this verse. And he says that these are people who aren't part of the Jewish nation. If you like, they're people like us, ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me, ready to be found by those who did not seek me, I said, here am I, here am I to a nation that was not called by my name. You know, people are a bit like us, you know, people are too busy on their smartphones, too involved in their desires, too focused on themselves. But he also holds out his hands, he spreads out his hands to a people who are rebellious. Again, Romans 10, Paul quotes this verse, verse 2, and he says that these are these are people who are part of the Jewish nation. They're rebellious. They're living in their own fantasy worlds where they're the centre. They're too attached to their opinions on the law, too sure of their own interpretations, too insulated from challenge. And the readers of Isaiah know, know who he's talking about here, know who the Lord is talking about. People who rejected the Lord from inside the nation. Who thought they were important. Who ignored God's commands. Who hid away from the Lord. And they'd get it. Don't be like them. But to both types of people, the Lord shows himself and he spreads out his hands. See, this God doesn't hide. You've probably all, at some point or other, either wanted to play or got drawn into playing hide-and-seek. It's a game that kids love playing, and dads do too, until you're like me and you injure your knee in some woods in lockdown. That's what happened. It's another story. But hide-and-seek, and of course you know how it works. Most people hide and then someone tries to find them. I've always wondered, what's the bigger joy? To find someone who is hidden... Or to be someone who is hidden and not be found. 
Interesting one. That might reveal differences of us. Hide and seek. Hiding. We're good at hiding. We hide as people. We hide from God. Remember, it was Adam who hid behind the tree. It was God who came to him. It's us who hide behind our excuses, who hide behind our lives. It's God who speaks and says, I'm here. My hands are held out to receive you, spread out. But we hide from him. See, the heart of the Lord here, and we've got to get this right in our heads, the heart of the Lord is not to judge you, His heart is to come to you, call to you, receive you, forgive you. And we know this is true because the Lord Jesus Christ walked this earth, revealing God to us. He came to those who did not go looking for him. Matthew, the tax collector, sitting there collecting his taxes, and Jesus just walks past and says, follow me. The woman at Samaria, who had had five husbands and was with a guy who wasn't a husband. The thief on the cross. He came to those who didn't want him. People who should have known better. The Pharisees, the priests, the religious elite. Saul, who became Paul. And he spread out his hands. And ultimately, he spreads out his hands so they could be nailed to a cross. See, he died with his arms open wide, offering salvation to those who aren't looking for him and those who are rebellious. And that's the heart of the Lord. He spreads out his hands. Secondly, let's see this. The Lord judges with integrity. The Lord judges with integrity. If a country is going to work properly, and people have confidence in the way the country runs, you've got to have things judged correctly, say in court. If there's a case on anything, you need everything to be tested. Did this person do it or not? You know, their their future is at stake. You need integrity. You need people to make judgments on the facts. Without pressure and come to a resolution on the case. In Isaiah 65, the Lord judges with integrity. He is right. He's weighed everything correctly. The facts he provides are the truth. When you look at verse 2 and onwards, you see here a people who are not innocent. They're not innocent. They're they're guilty of all sorts of things. We're not going to go through them with a fine-tooth comb. But they're guilty of pride, of being big-headed. You see that? Keep 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 to yourself, don't come near me, I'm too holy for you. They're guilty of evil. They're guilty of breaking God's law deliberately. They've done what they know they should not have done. They deliberately see themselves as better than God. They ignored the Lord. They deliberately did not listen to what he said. And because the Lord has integrity, he must judge. See, he doesn't hide. 
He doesn't sweep stuff under the carpet, which, let's be honest, all of us do. He doesn't pretend it never happened. Let's be honest, all of us do that as well. He opens himself to us and tells us the truth. You see, he's got to judge because he knows all things. He knows perfectly the right from the wrong. He knows it all. And so he's right in his judgments. And before we say, well, we're not like these people, we don't go around saying, I'm too holy for you, God. We don't sit in the tombs and spend the night in secret places. We're not frequenting the local cemetery. Well, let's be honest. Look at verse 12, the end of verse 12. What does God say? When I called, you did not answer. When I spoke, you did not listen. But you did what was evil in my eyes and chose what I did not delight in. See, what's going on here? What's God saying to them? He's saying, you failed to listen to my word. See, we fail to listen to the word of God. Might read what the Bible says tonight or in any day. But then, you know, what happens? For example, we read what the Bible says about gossip. And then we still indulge in it. We read what the Bible says about lust. And then still make up our fantasies. We read what the Bible says about serving him. But ultimately we serve ourselves. See, what's the problem here? See, we choose what displeases the Lord. But Isaiah says the Lord's going to judge with integrity. And that means we've got to face it. We've got to face it. We're under his judgment, so what do we need? We need his mercy. We need his word to be true. That he spreads out his hands to receive us. That he acts with integrity according to his word. That in his anger, he will remember mercy. Now, some people object to the Lord being judged because they don't think they deserve it. You know, they're not as bad as other people. What does God, what gives him the right to judge me? What gives a preacher the right to say that I'll be judged for my sin? Well, I don't have the right, but God does. And he has the right because he's God. He's not a force. He's not an idea. He's not a set of rules, but a real, living functioning, eternal, sovereign God. He judges because this is his world. He set the boundaries. He runs the show. And he judges according to those boundaries. He judges with integrity. Thirdly, let's see this. The Lord judges with grace. The Lord judges with grace. You see, if the Lord simply judged with integrity, then everyone would be judged and sentenced. Every single person would receive what their sin deserves. We might say, well, have mercy, but why should the Lord give it? Well, you see, the Lord also judges with grace. He warns of judgment, but he spreads out his hands to receive us. 
In the TV series, Ted Lasso, there's a main character called Ted. Funnily enough, he's Ted Lasso. Anyway, he's a, if you've not seen it, he's an American who's, who coaches a British football team, not knowing much about football. Yeah, exactly, it's far-fetched. But in it, in it is a lot of reality. And in one of the, one of the storylines that happens, Ted keeps getting panic attacks. And he keeps them secret. Secret from his colleagues, secret from the players, secret from the boss, even secret from the team psychologist. Why? Because he's scared of being judged. And that if he opens up, no one will help him. He's scared of judgment. I wonder how many of us are like that in some way with the Lord. You know, we know we've done wrong. But we look at Isaiah 65 and, and we know he's the judge. So actually, we'd rather not confess. We'd rather not face it. We don't want to be humiliated. We don't think he'll forgive us. We fear his judgment. But look with me at verses 8 to 10. I'll read them. Thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster, and they say, do not destroy it, for there is a blessing in it. So I will do for my servant's sake and not destroy them all. I will bring forth offspring from Jacob and from Judah, possessors of my mountains. My chosen shall possess it and my servants shall dwell there. Sharon shall become a pasture for flocks and the valley of Achor a place for herds to lie down for my people who have sought me. See, one of the things that's going on here is this, that the Lord deals with us as individuals. He doesn't look at humanity as a whole and just reject it. He doesn't look at a church as a whole and condemn it. No, he looks into it and he sees those who are his. He looks at the cluster of grapes, which is the illustration, little picture he gives, and he sees the wine in there. He ignores all the ones that are rotting. He ignores all the ones that aren't ripe. He ignores all the ones that are eaten by insects or whatever eats grapes that you don't want, pests. He sees the good wine. He sees the true believer among those who ignore and those who put on a show. See, the Lord judges with grace. He knows we don't deserve forgiveness. He knows we can't earn his blessing. So he gives us what we don't deserve. And look at how verse 16 ends. The former troubles are forgotten and are hidden from my eyes. See, the Lord who does not hide, the Lord who can be found, the Lord who reveals himself in the person of Jesus Christ hides the bad stuff, hides the former troubles, hides our sin from his eyes. He hides it away, never to be seen again. 
never to be resurrected. That's grace, isn't it? All we are and have been is taken and dealt with by the Lord himself. But who is it for? Who is it for? It's, well, it's for those he calls his servants, his chosen people, my people. Well, who are they? Well, he tells us at the end of verse 10, for my people who have sought me. It's those who, who hear God speak and say, I want to know you. It's those who hear God's laws and say, I'm guilty. It's those who hear the good news of Jesus and say, forgive me. It's those who trust in Jesus' death and his resurrection and say, because of Jesus, I receive God's grace. See, there is blessing for his people too. Towards the end of, of, of these, these verses, verse 13 through to 16, he's going to grow them. He's going to give them an inheritance. He's going to make them belong. There is, his grace and his judgment is that those who seek him will find him. They'll be provided for. They'll rejoice in his grace. The Lord judges with grace. Finally, the Lord judges with certainty. The Lord judges with certainty. You know, 2023 has, just seems to be more uncertainty, doesn't it? You know, when are, the tra- are the trains going to run? Because of the strikes, and if they're going to run, where are they going to get to? Or whatever, is your post going to get there when it says it's going to get there? That's not a comment on whether you should be on strike or not, it's just reality. Energy bills, who knows what your energy bill is going to be in three months' time? Two months' time? One month's time? Who knows? People facing job losses, just talking to someone who comes to our church this morning, and where she's at work, they're talking about massive redundancies. Wars. You know, when is the Ukraine war going to end? Sex and gender, where is that going to end? So much is uncertain, isn't it? Who knows what is going to happen? Now, of course, there are some people who love uncertainty. I don't know many, but there are some. They love chaos. They love not being able to plot the future. But let's be frank, most of us like a bit of certainty. You know, even if we like surprises, we don't like having no idea of what happens next. You know, we're comfortable knowing where we live, where we work, where we go to school, where we go to the supermarket, what's planned for this week or just tonight. Now, we thought a lot about the Lord judging us, and we've got to understand that he judges with certainty. There are no ifs and no maybes. There's no repeated postponing of a reckoning. You know, it's not like the government national debt. You know, they just say, oh, we need to pay it off. I will tell you what, we'll pay it off in the next parliament, you know. And it's going to be, I don't know how many trillions of pounds, you know, get it put off. It has been, by the way, just so you know, it's been put off for for decades anyway. It will never get paid off. But, you know, it's not like that. You know, just as there has to be a general election after five years and the government of the day is judged by the voter, so the Lord will judge at a time that he decides. There's a time he's going to do it. There's a day when Jesus Christ will return to judge the living and the dead. And he will judge. He's not going to turn around and say, oh, actually, I've changed my mind. I'm not doing that anymore. Not like 
We do sometimes. Parents, you notice with your kids, when you're trying to sort something out, you just give up. He's not like that. The Lord judges, and he'll judge because of his integrity. If his judgment wasn't certain, then why trust what he says? See, some people don't like the fact that the Lord judges with certainty. They want to sweep it under the carpet. But here's the thing. He says he's going to do it. If he doesn't do it, well, why would you believe what he says about anything? You know, just as we lose, lose uh, trust in politicians or bosses or whoever who say things and then don't live up to it. If God doesn't live up to what he says, then why would we trust him? But here's the truth, and we've seen it already. Those who seek him will be forgiven. But those who ignore him will be put to shame forever. Crying out in anguish, as it's put in Isaiah 65. Suffering eternal death. See, it's certain because the Lord judges with certainty. So, this evening, heed the warning. Heed the warning. Run to the Lord whose hands are spread out, outstretched on the cross, wide open to receive you, whose grave is empty, who will hide his eyes from the rebellion, the sin that he has forgiven. I wonder if you saw that in verse 16. The only thing here that is hidden is the sin that he's forgiven. And it could be hidden because the Lord judges. He's already judged it on the cross on his own son. So this evening, how are you going to respond to him? To this all-knowing, all-powerful God who, yes, he judges with integrity, with grace, with certainty. How are you going to respond to this Lord who spreads out his hands to receive you, forgive you, who doesn't hide but shows himself to us? in the person of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen from the dead, ascended to the Father's right hand, who will return and every eye will see him. How are you going to respond to him tonight? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that we're faced with difficult things in this part of your word. And we might wrestle with them and struggle with them and have questions about them. Yet we know that if you do not judge, then you're not being true to yourself and not true to what you have said. And if you decided not to judge, then why could we trust what you say about other things? But Lord, we thank you that we put our trust in Christ. Our sin is removed and dealt with, hidden forever. We thank you that we are forgiven because of Jesus. And I pray that all of us will say that, yes, we have been rebellious. Yes, we have gone the wrong way. But we are thankful that the Lord still spreads out his hands to receive us and accept us through Jesus and that he is our hope and that we wonder and glory in the grace that he shows to us. In Jesus' name, amen.